I'm Damien Fowler. And I'm George Sleffo. And this is The Current. The Current is your deep dive into the future of TV, media, and data privacy, but all explained in plain English. In plain English. And today we'll hear from Jay Richman. Jay is the VP Head of Global Advertising Business and Platform at Spotify. Chances are you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, which only goes to show how bullish they are on the medium of digital audio. But before Spotify was the podcasting behemoth they are now, they were mostly known for music, and that's when Jay first joined the company. The eight years have both you know, flown by, and it's hard for me to remember a time uh, before Spotify. When I joined in 2013, my day-to-day was really all about putting out fires. Uh, the ads product development team was three people, so I inherited a team of, of three when I joined. And they were supporting an organization of 150 across sales, marketing, business development. So yeah, between firefighting, and recruiting, uh, kind of one by one, I was able to, to recruit a really great, like minimum viable team. Now I basically lead a, a midsize, you know, thousand person organization, like within the larger conglomerates. You mentioned putting out fires, like, uh, is there any fire in particular that stands out to you? Back then it was really like the basics, like placing and pacing of ads reporting and invoicing of campaigns, advertising, you know, circa 2013 was very much an afterthought, which meant that we would ship consumer propositions first and then worry about the ad experience later. And on one such occasion, this was back when we were selling like homepage uh, takeovers, like big banner ads on desktop, it's kind of pre, you know, us having a mobile free tier. And we launched our web player, but failed uh, to integrate a homepage takeover. And so we had a number of very unhappy uh, homepage takeover customers and had to work, I think it was like over a July 4th break um, to quickly get uh, that format integrated. Well, it's, it's really good that you guys put in the work over the holiday weekend, because as we all know, desktop is the future of advert. No, I'm kidding. So you guys were initially a music first company, as you mentioned, and now you guys are audio first. Like, what does that mean? So as you know, like the, co- the company's roots are in music. About two years ago, we expanded the mission of the company uh, to that of, of audio and have gotten into spoken word content in a really big way. We built our own content studio to produce podcasts. We acquired... Uh, a number of additional ones, Gimlet, Parcast, so forth. We've been licensing up some of the largest shows, Rogan, Dak Shepard, just to name a couple. And now that we've got a great mix of content between the two on the platform, we're starting to look at interesting opportunities, including monetization. Can I jump in here? You know, um, talking about spoken audio, I mean, back in the day, of course, it was known as radio, but we don't call it radio anymore. And that Radio and spoken audio was always the poor cousin to video and film, but now podcasts have completely changed the equation. And it's the podcast market I read is growing faster than any other type of ad medium. What is driving that? On the advertising side, I think what you're seeing is this great you know, catch-up effect uh, to all of the consumer adoption over the last several years. It remains a medium where there's just like this massive gap between time spent listening and ad spend in the space. Like 
it's where video was probably five years ago or so. It's where mobile was like probably around that time. You tend to see consumers' uh, behaviors change first and advertisers catch up. And I think we're at the very beginning of this like, you know, catch up effect where ad spend um, should at minimum be at equilibrium uh, with the amount of consumer uh, attention in the space. Uh, Let me ask you this. So I was on LinkedIn maybe a month ago and, you know, they show what's trending and they were saying the podcast wars are heating up. And then, you know, you had news recently of of Amazon acquiring a company and, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, the podcast wars are heating up. Like, you know, you guys were on this years ago. Do you believe Spotify started the so-called podcast wars? Because again, you guys saw this coming years ago before like much of the rest of the industry or the rest of the industry for that matter. It's funny, I guess there's two ways to look at it. One is like how far ahead we are. Uh, The other is how much less runway we've had with podcasts than we had with music. Because the same thing is happening as we evolve the format from uh, downloads, or in the case of music, ownership, um, into access and streaming. And so I recall in the early days of of music, like wondering when like the giants like would awake. We had all these like, you know, Game of Thrones, you know, metaphors uh, like coming, winter is coming. Now uh, that, you know, Apple has awoken and launched and bought Beats and uh, launched music and YouTube now has a competing uh, subscription service. Amazon is bundling, right? Like that, like we're, we're now at, at a point, but you think about the amount of time from when like we launched the service to when like the giants awoke for music. And then you compare that to podcasts, even if it is a couple of years, it's like a couple of years versus, you know, like eight or almost like 10 years of runway. But, uh, I think that we're going to see this like rising tide effect. I mentioned before that there's just like this massive gap between, you know, time spent listening and, and ad spend. And the more folks like in the market, like banging on that point, I think the quicker we will see uh, things catch up. And I think that that'll be great for the overall industry. Jay, you know, you mentioned earlier about acquiring, you know, big name talent to bring attention in, in many ways and bring listeners in. And you've cultivated Big names, Joe Rogan, obviously the the biggest podcast in the world, as I understand it. The Obamas, uh, not to mention ex-royalty like Prince Harry and Hollywood royalty like Meghan Markle. And I'm allowed to say that because, you know, I'm a Brit. But, uh, you know, to be serious for a second, what's your strategy for acquiring talent like this? And and why is that such an important building block? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like one of these things where um, success breeds more success. Uh, we made a big splash when we acquired uh, Gimlet, you know, the HBO of podcasts. Um, we fast followed with Parcast, um, which has amazing uh, engagement content. And over time, we've become you know known as a very you know creator friendly place to work and and partner. And I think the the kind of position that we occupy now is you know we we get a lot of first looks um, based off of reputation, similar to how Netflix does in video. And the better we do, uh, the more you know, creators are, are attracted to, to work with us. And I, I think we have a model that has proven to be uh, you know, quite, quite successful. I want to jump in and I want to talk about SAI, uh, streaming ad insertion. But before I get into that, I, I was hoping you can tell our listeners what it is and why it's important. The way podcast ads work today are much more like 
the billboard ads you see by the side of the highway or ones on the subway above a taxi in a magazine, they're fairly analog in nature. Uh, They can't be targeted, measured, or engaged with. And so it tends to appeal to the same crop of advertisers, the same advertisers that you would see sponsoring a billboard. SAI is set out to, oh, one last bit of context. And so like, why do all those constraints exist? It's because ads are like literally embedded into the show upon download. Nothing is done in real time. The same way a billboard is literally like plastered ahead of time before a car drives by it. And so with the shift from download to streaming, it allows us to do all this stuff in real time. It allows us to modernize the format and bring the best of digital ad tech to an otherwise analog space. So the the three things, now that you have the context that SAI brings to the table, is real-time targeting based on audience. It offers measurement, which among other things, verifies impressions that the ad is actually heard, which is something that has not existed. And interactivity, the ability for a consumer to actually engage with the ad as opposed to how they do so today, which is recalling a coupon code and entering into a browser. I want to ask you, uh, what is something that most advertisers get wrong when it comes to audio advertising? On the advertiser side, the, the experience is totally broken because they don't know who they're reaching. They don't know the efficacy of their ads. There's no way for consumers to engage with their brand. So that side of the equation is broken. Whereas I think that the actual experience from the consumer side is quite good. I think that podcast advertising has done a lot of things right as it relates to the creative and the nativity between uh, the host and the spot. And I think that preserving that on the listener side while improving the advertiser experience is going to be the secret sauce. On what advertisers tend to get wrong, they tend to think that they could take their radio playbook and bring it to digital and expect it to to work. And that's problematic for two reasons. One, the creative often doesn't neatly cut over. 15, 30-second spots designed for an analytic experience tend to not work well in a highly interactive environment like uh, streaming. And two, it fails to take rich advantage of all of the digital capabilities, the ability to target outside of a geography, the opportunity to engage, which basically doesn't exist in analog radio, and knowing how to measure the return on their investment are all things that for new time audio buyers we're having to teach. On that point, you know, what do you recommend to advertisers who want to create native audio for the first time? You know, obviously the in podcast experience is very seamless at the moment when it's read by the host, but we're talking about something different here. How how do you go about cultivating that kind of native audio experience? But you know, by its nature, the answer to that that question isn't, you know, one size you know, fits all. There's a tension between nativity and standardization. And you got to try to find that sweet spot. If at one end you've got host red, which is kind of the most native kind of endorsement you can get at the other end, you have, you know, radio style spots built for a completely different medium. 
in the middle, we think that there's something really interesting uh, to be done around voice talent and various voice talent uh, services. And that's an area where we're spending quite a bit investing both in-house and through partnerships. And so I think matching the brand's goals to the right host, to the right shows and like building the spots is something that we're having to assist you know, the, the, the market with, but we're seeing some like really good, you know, early, uh, early traction as because it's so new, it's a solution, not a problem to most like agencies, if that makes sense. Having a platform like Spotify be as involved in the creative production for a mature market would probably be seen as somewhat um, competitive to the industry. But as we tried to onboard more and brands and agencies really don't know how to build standout. They're actually looking to us to provide that consultative service. And so that's what we're kind of doing. That's the stage that we're in. We're helping through hands-on in hopes of educating you know, the market such that it can take off on its own. Just for the record, George is very interested in being cultivated as voice talent. So just put oh, that out great. there. That, yeah, that's, that's, that's great to know. I, I, I don't think anyone wants to hear me speak more. I'm sure we could find a brand that uh, that differs, maybe even one for this podcast. <laughs> you know, I, I just want to I want to shift gears here, you know, just a little bit when it comes to some of the acquisitions that you guys have made. You guys made an acquisition with Megaphone. You made an acquisition with with Anchor. You know, how you know, how does that help Spotify achieve its goals? And, and what does that do for content creators at the same time? Like, can you put that in perspective? Because those are two key acquisitions you guys have recently made. Yes. Earlier, we talked about some of the content acquisitions. Um, those two are uh, platform acquisitions. And you can kind of think about them solving the same problem, but at opposite ends of the spectrum. They're both hosting distribution and uh, monetization platforms, anchor-focused on emerging creators, Megaphone focused on enterprise publishers. And so together, we feel like we've got you know, tools, services that span the, the spectrum. And that's resulted in the Spotify audience network. I think you were calling it SAN. We internally call it SPAN. Here is basically our play to aggregate all of that uh, inventory into a single marketplace where Advertisers, large and small, can market to our consumers on shows, large and small. And Anchor represents kind of the tail and torso. Megaphone represents the head. And then along with Spotify's, you know, owned uh, and exclusive content, all of that is being aggregated into one uh, supply source for advertisers to be able to reach audiences across and for creators um, to opt into monetization. How does Spotify audience network differ from other audience networks, like something like a Facebook audience network? Like, what do you guys bring to the table that's that's different from other audience networks? Spotify audience network, just to explain to the audience, represents our aggregation of Spotify-owned and exclusive shows, enterprise publishers on the Megaphone platform, and emerging creators hosting through Anchor. Bringing all of that together for advertisers to be able to buy audiences across is what the Spotify audience network represents. So you have the largest of shows like Joe Rogan's to small DIY you know, creators, all available for the smallest of advertisers in the D to C space to the largest of brands, all 
being matched together in for the very first time in audio via the Spotify audience network. So I think one of the things that makes the Spotify audience network so compelling is that for uh, smaller creators, we're offering monetization for the very first time. I think I mentioned earlier, we've got 2.6 million shows on the platform, the vast majority of which go unmonetized today by allowing them to be bundled and sold on an audience basis. We're able to extend monetization to many more creators than would ever be possible. And on the enterprise side, we're able to increase sell-through rates and raise you know, CPMs by having them be part of this larger marketplace, resulting in larger checks for the enterprise community. And so it's really exciting to see both ends of the market growing in tandem. I mean, this is really important for podcast creators in the ecosystem. We talk a lot here at the Trade Desk about, you know, how important ads are for building out journalism and a healthy ecosystem. I mean, what does it mean? Why is it important for Spotify to cultivate new podcast creators? You know, we're not talking about the, the big names here, but people who are doing this out of their own home. Why is that important? And what do you kind of anticipate going forward, you know, in terms of a podcast wave of new voices? That's a great question. So we, we've got now over 2.6 million podcasts on the platform, the vast majority of which go unmonetized today. So we see a big opportunity to bring monetization to the un or under monetized. I think the benefit of that is it'll allow creators to invest more in their art um, and that art will delight our consumers to an increasingly great degree, which will again, grow the pie for, for all. And so we very much think in ecosystem terms when we develop, and you hopefully can see that in the model, we effectively have for the very first time, the entire audio stack in one platform. You've got creation tools, distribution capabilities, monetization in multiple flavors, playback and access to the end consumer. And when you put it all together, it creates opportunities for innovation that just simply aren't possible when you're having to span all of those offerings across multiple stacks. And so we've brought it all together. We're kind of in the integration, the early like integration phase of it all. And I think it's going to result in an explosion in creation. And I think that that explosion in creation is going to uh, create uh, a lot more kind of economic value for um, the entire ecosystem. What trends were born from the pandemic do you believe will stick around once the return world returns to normal? Like, what do you what do you think changed that's going to stay the same now? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you one on the consumer side, one on the advertiser side. On the consumer side, we saw this massive behavioral shift from you know mobile usage to desktop and console usage. You know, gaming like overall uh, was a pandemic you know, beneficiary, and listening to music while gaming as one of those things that a lot of our consumers discovered while spending time at home. And I think that that's going to persist. You know, now that folks are returning in developed uh, healthy countries, they're largely their old ways. We're seeing mobile usage start to pick up as you'd expect, in-car usage starting to pick up as you'd expect. But now that kind of this multi-device 
has been discovered, opportunity has been discovered, I think it's going to to persist. So I think that's like a behavioral you know, shift on the consumer side. On the advertiser side, one of the things that became super critical was agility during the pandemic. And that's actually one of the areas where audio and audio advertising like really shined because on a dime, brands needed to retool their strategy, uh, their messaging, and in a very, very dynamic environment. Stores were closing, stores were opening, like how do you get the message out? And as it turned out, creating like highly produced like video spots, which require being on location, et cetera, was like really negatively impacted in a way that like audio production like wasn't. So we really leaned in to being you know, nimble and available you know, to our partners in their time of need. And we're able to produce spots way more cheaply, way more quickly and way more relevant. And I think that that's going to persist as a, as a value proposition. And um, yeah, I think that's you know, one, 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 one thing that I think will last for each. That's it for The Current. Stay tuned because next week we'll have Josh Brandau, the CMO of the Los Angeles Times. It's our job to provide the largest possible audience with ways to engage with us that are the most meaningful. The Current is produced by James C. Green and Kiara Powell. Greta Cohn is our executive producer. Britt Kwan is our mix engineer. Our theme is by Loving Caliber. The Trade Desk team includes Cassie Crosby, Yvonne Sikich, and Kat Vesey. The Current is a production of Transmitter Media. And remember, there's a tension between nativity and standardization, and you got to try to find that sweet spot. I'm Damien. And I'm George. And we'll see you next week.